0: Welcome to the YA Cafe, where we share conversations about books for teachers, readers, and caffeine addicts everywhere. On today's episode, we'll be talking about A River of Royal Blood by Amanda Joy. Grab a mug of your favorite beverage friends, and let's talk books. As always, our first segment will be spoiler-free, and so you can stick around even if you haven't checked out the new novel yet. I'm Amanda Thrasher. And I'm Danielle Hall, an 8th and ninth grade English teacher, and I blog at teachnouvelle.com. So before we get started, we just want to take a minute to talk to you guys about um, how... We put on this podcast. We put a lot of work into it. We read all these books very carefully, and then our editor goes through and makes sure that you guys don't spend a lot of time listening to rambling or filler words and things like that so we can make the most of your time. But unfortunately, because we work really hard to do a high-quality podcast, it takes a lot of time and a lot of money. So we are going to have to take a break coming in January, at least for a little while, um, putting out new episodes. But We love putting the podcast on and we would like to be able to come back to you in 2020. Uh, So please just take this time to review, to suggest us to other people, and consider donating to our Patreon if you are finding us a really valuable resource. All right. Let's talk books. We're joined today by our friend Courtney from Coco Chasing Adventures. Hey, Courtney.
1: Hi, guys. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good, good. Glad to be back.
0: We're glad to have you back. And with this awesome book that I'm pretty sure you suggested. So great pick. Oh, yeah. I think that with the description, I was not the most hyped on it. I was like, OK, well, if Courtney wants to do it. And then <laughs> it wound up being great. So great job, Courtney. <laughs> a River of Royal Blood tells the story of two rival princesses, Eva and Isidore, in a land of magic and mystery. Eva, our point of view character, has always known that when she comes of age, she and her sister will fight to the death for the crown. Even though she wants to rule and be a good queen, Eva has never believed she'd have a chance because she's never been able to use her magic of blood and marrow. It's a terrifying magic with a sinister past, and Eva's father could never find someone to teach her. When she finds a mentor, Eva's finally given the opportunity to develop her magical skill and perhaps defeat her sister after all. So, Danielle, I may already know what you're going to say, but what did you think of this book? How do you already know what I'm going to say? Because maybe... You already told me. Oh. <laughs> I really liked this book. I thought it was a lot of fun. And also, it was really dark. But one of the things that I found really fun was kind of this lush, magical world in which the characters had like different kinds of magic. It was sort of like Red Queen in that regard, but not as violent. I think it was as violent as Red Queen. Okay, well, we could talk about that. We can, but don't be like, oh, this is a kinder, gentler Red Queen, because it is not. <laughs> I didn't say it was con- I just, okay. <laughs> Red Queen was extremely violent and cinematic. And this book is not as violent and lush to the level of Melissa Marr, who wrote Wicked Lovely. Good comps. How about you, Courtney? What did you think?
1: I really enjoyed it. Um, I I know that I was picked this book out specifically because I really enjoy fantasy, science fiction. Um, And so this was its definitely a little up the height. So Amanda, what did you think?
0: I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought that the plot was super interesting. I really liked the world building. And there were a lot of things that I really enjoyed about it. I think it's a great first book in a series. Normally, I'm annoyed when things are the first book in a series. Oh, yeah. But I'm like, all Mm -hmm. right, I could be on board with this one. I feel like it wasn't as resolved as I often like my first books in a series, but I think it did a pretty good job. That's right. I did tell you what I thought about this book because I said, if book two were already out, I would read it right now. Yeah. I'm so excited.
1: That's how I typically feel in general about Series books. I'm always so cautious about picking up a new series because right. I get very anxious.
0: What if it's bad and then I'm never going to know what happens, or I have right. to read like a quartet yes. of bad, <laughs> right. or she gets a movie deal and the next book doesn't come out for three years? It's okay. We're not talking oh. about anybody in particular, Tommy. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I will admit. She didn't write me back, that's fair, but I did slide into Amanda Joy's DMs and be like, hey, I hope you get a movie deal, but not like a movie <laughs> deal that takes three years. Just like, I think this would be a really cool movie, like with all the different races that are running around, with all the like Faye and the Khmer and the vampires. <laughs> Bloodkin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's actually it's a TV trope called Our Vampires Are Different. <laughs> oh. So these are the Bloodkin. <laughs> so we kind of jumped ahead to vampires which the book was not about vampires like to be clear they were such a small part of the book and it's what we zero in on (laughs) y'all we're so silly okay so first major takeaway for me this was not a split perspective book and i thought it would be you know two rival sisters i think it's like in vogue to have split povs yeah, I mean, I think that especially we're coming off of reading um, The Never Tilting World, which we enjoyed. We just didn't have time to record a podcast on it. So uh, just throwing that, Amanda, that one out sick. there. <coughs> oh, yeah. Blame me. I'm sorry that <laughs> viruses exist, Danielle. <laughs> um, yeah, so quick shout out to that book. So that one is like kind of Rival Sisters split POV. So, yeah, I was expecting this to be split
1: as well. What about you, Courtney? I thought it would be. And honestly, I first, I really was looking forward to that. This idea of being able to be in each person's head, specifically because, you know, I'm a big sister. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to know the whole time what is in the mind of this big sister. So I definitely thought that would be the case. But I actually really enjoyed the book in this way. I, Amanda, I think she did a good job of choosing a path, and I'm willing to go with it.
0: Yeah, it definitely shrouded Isidore in this like air of mystery. And it's like, okay. What does Isidore want? Does Isidore want to kill her sister? I don't know. Maybe. So I will say one thing that I think might have been better in a split POV, but there's a lot of things that I loved about it not being in a split POV. But I feel that a lot of the relationships in this book felt more shallow than I was hoping for. Like, I feel like we never really explored the relationship between her and Isidore and how they had this past where... They got along until they found out about this battle to the death that they would have to do. So I feel like the relationship with her mother was really interesting and fleshed out. I just wish I could have seen more of her complicated feelings towards her sister versus her just kind of seeming like this antagonistic force the whole time. Right. Do we know why they had to
1: battle to the death? Like, what happens if they don't battle? Them's the rules, Danny. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's the magical system. It works that way. Well, I think it's like an
0: edict or a decree, right? Because that's one of the things that Eva says she wants to change as queen. Like she would get rid of the rival heirs battle. Yeah, heirs with an H. But like, why
1: does it exist in the first place? Like what happens if they don't do it? Like what if they just say, this is the battle and we just won't battle? Like, I don't know. That's interesting.
0: Right. And in Never Tilting World, which we just read by Ren Chipeko, like the world breaks if they don't fight. So there's that. Like, what happens to this world? Does it break? I don't know. But anyway, we could talk more about that later or find out in book two, dot, dot, dot. One of the things that I thought was really cool about this and different from Amari's character in Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi, which is now going to be a movie and the sequel is coming out soon. If you didn't catch that whole thing earlier, that's what's happening. Um, (laughs) Eva understands that she is a descendant of colonizers and that her ancestors started a genocide against the Khmer, um, who are like fairy-ish beings. And so Eva is definitely like conscious of this fact that she has a role in that history and privilege kind of coming from that history. And I really loved that element throughout the book.
1: Right. I mean, And I hate to compare characters, but in general, I just found that Eva, she understands her responsibility and place in this world in, in a different way. And she just seems much more mature. There's other characteristics about her, aside from this really understanding that she is a part of a history that was very negative and terrible toward the people. But she she just generally understands, like, how her mother and all her descendants really played a role in the things that are continuing to happen. And if she doesn't do something about it, if she's not the person who comes in and steps in, that it will continue forward. So um, that that's a lot of responsibility on a very young person. But she almost seems ready to take that on. At least by the end of the story, she definitely seems like she's ready to take on that type of challenge.
0: Yeah, I think that part of the reason that she has this characterization of deep empathy is because of this battle of the true heirs that she's Mm -hmm. been faced with, with her whole life, because that winds up alienating her from her sister and her mother and finding companionship with all of these people who she is supposed to oppress and dislike. Like she has Kamir's servants. Like she sneaks out and goes into the city and like goes and dances with people. So like she has experienced this kind of, fellowship with all of these people that her sister and her mother have not can we mention the hottie is it hottie Makati time yeah the tall dark and handsome stranger is the Khmer prince akito so she's like surrounded by Khmer, and that really increases the stakes of her winning this battle against her sister because she wants to change the world that being said she can't use her magic Yeah, so she's pretty, like, resigned to death at the beginning. She's like, well, the world's a pooper, but, like, oh, well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Guess I'm going to
0: get murdered by my sister here next week. And with that, friends, we'll take our first break. When we come back, we'll share about things we like a latte. Then we'll return to our discussion of a river of royal blood and dig a little deeper. friends. Remember how we were talking about how you should support the podcast? You totally should in as many ways as possible. One way is to order our book choices through the affiliate link in our show notes. You'll be supporting our authors and making sure we get a small kickback to put towards this show. Next up, we'll be discussing Sick Kids in Love by Hannah Moskowitz. If you'd like to help us keep bringing you great content, order through the link in our show notes. Happy reading. Welcome back, y'all. It's time for Things We Like a Latte. Courtney, what is your brew of choice this week?
1: This week, it is Michael B. Jordan. Strong (laughs) choice. He's very handsome, obviously. But also because he was the executive producer for the show on Netflix, Raising Dion, which is an amazing um, series based off a comic book. And it features a young black kid who has superpowers and a single mother that's raising him. He also has a, a line by coaches coming out that's based off Naruto, and then finally he is going to adapt the new book by Irina Barron, Kingdom of Souls, to a movie. So, all the way around, Michael B. Jordan is Bay. Awesome. What do you like a latte, Amanda?
0: So, for me, it's gotta be the Untitled Goose Game and all of the memes therein. The description of this game is basically, it is a lovely morning in a lovely English town, and you are a horrible goose, (laughs) And so you just go and, like, ruin people's day. Like, you steal the gardener's shoe and... But you th- don't quite ruin their day. Yeah, there's no, like, you I didn't just know... just it bad. I didn't know that, like, there was a burning need in me to just, like, to not be violent or, like, go, like, shoot people up in some, like, first-person shooter. But just to go and inconvenience as many people as possible. <laughs> <laughs> And the goose lets me do that, so that's important to me. And then, like after you play the game, the internet is just exploded with joy over this goose. So there's so many memes, and I love a good meme. So the goose and the expanded goose universe are the things that I like a lot. The gooseverse. The gooseverse. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Danielle? What do you like a latte? Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? That's not the tune anymore. They changed it. Well, that's fine. I they changed it. Oh my gosh! It's okay. It's so good. Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? (laughs) San Diego. (laughs) So (laughs) good. We're watching Carmen San Diego, and I love this show. It is not for adults. (laughs) It is for children. (laughs) They will tell you, like, where Abu Dhabi is and, like, what the primary export of Brazil is and, you know, what the Eiffel Tower is. But that is okay. Um, The show opens in Poitiers, France, where I did my master's. So it was, like, very exciting to see, like, my college town on screen. And they were, like, chasing through the medieval streets. And it was awesome. And the animation is really lovely, and the voice work is mostly fun, and the show is just a delight. So,
1: Carmen Sandiego, great pick. Like, now I have to go watch it. It is you, you it's a joy. you You have definitely piqued my interest there.
0: We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll return to our discussion on A River of Royal Blood. The rest of the show will contain spoilers, so if you're leaving us here, keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. We'll be back. Welcome back, y'all, to the YA Cafe. We're continuing our discussion on A River of Royal Blood by Amanda Joy. If you haven't read this yet, we want to warn you again that this segment will contain spoilers. Spoilers! All right. So I want to argue with Danielle because that's my favorite thing to do as soon as we get in the spoiler section. Oh, what are we arguing about? I think this is very much as violent as Red Queen.
1: There's so many murders. What? Listen. Okay, so I haven't read Queen. I've heard about this, but let me just tell you: she went from being like a very innocent girl to like murder today, tomorrow, and then the next day—blood, <laughs> blood, blood everywhere. I'm like, what is happening, y'all? Her magic
0: is blood and marrow. You didn't think she was going to murder anyone? I mean, <laughs> like, but so the first murder is an assassin who's after her. Like, that's a bummer. And then. I remember there's one that is exactly what Courtney is talking about. Cause it's when she walks in and we're in the spoiler section now. So like go away if you haven't read this already, but like she walks in and her father's been murdered and there's blood everywhere. And she just like throws back the curtain and stabs somebody like, right. like she doesn't know if this is like one of her father's servants who's like scared and hiding from the <laughs> assassins. Like it's a good thing it was an assassin, but she was
1: just taking him what out. even the way her Magic works, right? Like, I'm super fascinated with the magical system that Amanda writes for this book because all I'm thinking to myself is like, she is writing a YA fiction book that requires blood to rub on someone else's skin in order to be like really fully inactive. Like, her magic is activated by the other person's blood. That is really pretty out there, man. I, I don't know. I am really impressed that she went down that path. So, that is dark. It's true. I really enjoyed it, though. I I just like that she took that risk.
0: Yeah, I guess I expected her blood magic to go in the direction of bloodbending, which it didn't, but I guess it's still dark. Um, I mean, it still could go bloodbending in the future, but it hasn't yet. I stand by Red Queen being more violent. And one of the things that I found very violent about Red Queen that isn't as violent in this book is like. In Red Queen there is violence enacted against children in a way that is not present in this book. Yet, I mean like we hear this like talk of the Khmer camps, like we know that there are internment camps for them and I'm sure that there is violence there and I'm sure that in book 2 we are going to go to one. But I do think that like violence against children reads very differently than like the protagonist having power there you go amanda joy danielle hall wants more violence against children no i did (laughs) not say that (laughs) i do not want violence against children (laughs) like i cannot specifically tell you the moment in red queen that i think about every single day because it is so horrific because maybe our readers haven't read the red queen by victoria aviard but It's horrific. I'm pretty sure if they have read it, they know what you're talking about. There you go. Moving on. Are we ever sympathetic to Isidore? No. Next (laughs) question.
1: (laughs) No, (laughs) what do you think, Courtney? A part of me was holding out, like maybe all along, this is a great plot that she was really just gonna get that far and then like give it up. So from other books. Sometimes the magic is activated by your need, right? So right. I was my like conspiracy theory mind was saying that maybe if Eva really needed her magic, call, she could call it forward, and maybe her big sister is just trying to make her call it forward. I was holding on to that dream the whole entire book long, but it didn't turn out to be the case. I was I, I felt bad the whole book. There's got to be something there. I, there's got to be a little bit of innocence in her. I can't imagine she's purely bad.
0: I, I hope so. You hope that there's innocence in her? Well, I hope that there's... Like, I agree with Courtney. Like, I think that you kept waiting for, like, some sort of development there in that relationship. And I feel like it just didn't. Like, at the end, with their final battle, there was that sense of, there's something wrong with Isidore right now. But, yeah, like, Isidore is sad. Can we investigate why Isidore is sad? Yeah, and I feel like, hopefully there's more of that in book two, but... I don't know. I just feel like that was a super underdeveloped aspect of this book. I wanted more of like the sister struggle. Right. I agree. I definitely wanted and still want more understanding of Isidore. I thought it would turn out not necessarily that she would give up the throne, but that she would come to Eva and say something like, Evie have been working for the last ten years to find out a way that we didn't have to kill each other, and here yeah. it is. All we have to do is find the amulet that breaks the stone that unleashes the dragon that solves the world.
1: Yeah, that sounds right. right. That's what I really was hoping because that's what to me sisters would do. And you know, I I'm holding out for book two. Me too. And like that would happen because I mean, I think she gave us like a lot of little signs. There were these peaks of another personality, you did see a little bit of hurt. We don't know what the shame in her face was. Or even towards the end, and I I don't want to skip too far forward in our discussion, but even towards the end when these moments are happening and in their battle, I did see something there. Innocence is probably the wrong word. I don't want to look for innocence. I just want to look for cause or understanding. I just want to understand them more.
0: I agree. So I would like to see some of how... Isidore's magic has impacted her as a character we talked some about it with Eva how her magic being through blood and marrow makes her like a murder machine a little bit and I think that maybe there's something similar happening with Isidore like in uh bitter blue where it's the or maybe it's fire I can't remember but it's but it's in by Kristen Cashore. it's in one of the the Kristen Cashore books where one of the characters has the ability to control people with just like Willing them to do something and then they do that thing Mm. and how that has like shaped them and made them a pretty warped person because anybody will do anything that they say. And so you wonder, like, is part of that what's happening with Isidore? And also she's got this molding from her mother. I mean, Mm. I think there's a lot of things that are making Isidore act the way that she does. And I think that with a richer relationship, like more of that would have come to the forefront. Right. We definitely need to see that. Shall we talk about the big reveal? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Okay. So the big reveal, listeners, if you don't want to be spoiled, like seriously, leave. Like right now,
1: <laughs> probably right now. This is this is the last chance cuz I want to talk about
0: it. Yeah. Eva finds out from Isidore, who apparently knew for however long that Eva is half Kamir. Dun, dun, dun. So Eva's father is Kamir and Eva's mother Isidore's mother is not. Like, holy wow. I was shocked. Amanda wasn't shocked. Amanda saw it coming. Yeah, I mean, like, people call her a mutt. Like, about halfway through the book, like, people are referencing, like, her ancestry and, like, calling her a mutt and things like that. Oh, a mutt. I heard butt. Oh. (laughs) I mean, they probably called her a butt behind her back, but mostly they (laughs) just called her a mutt. But I did not realize that her father was Khmer. I thought that someone else was her father
1: Mm. so did i so who did you think was her father baka oh that's what i was kind of honestly i was wanting it to be the case because not to skip subjects because baka was giving off some weird energy he still gives off some energy like i couldn't tell and this is gonna sound really terrible i couldn't tell if was he attracted towards her or he just loves her like i I just was trying to understand the relationship
0: yeah me too Um, he reminds me a homeboy from the one book You got to give me more. No, what (laughs) book was it where he was old and we were like, you're too old. Spin the dawn. Oh, yeah. I mean, a little bit. I feel like I didn't think that Baka was attracted to her. I didn't get that vibe. I think that it was weird how the relationship building between her and Baka and her and Akito happened like kind of simultaneously. So I feel like sometimes that crossed the wires a little bit.
1: With like and, the, he, and he used some suggestive language, right? At some point in the story, he goes, oh, if you don't come, I'll, I will go seduce her or something like that. So it, it definitely sounds like it was in the realm of the possible. And then I'm not so sure that he wasn't, Baca wasn't off seducing Falloon. So, like, I don't know who he was seducing. That's true. Night. Falloon so is her like, gay best friend. Yeah. Oh, gotta have one. <laughs> Strong props yes. for that. So definitely, I like the book, too, I'm terribly excited for this reason. I just want to understand more who Baca is to this story. I think Amanda laid a lot of good work into understanding his, how he will help understand the throne and the queen and things. But I just, so who is, is Adorat's father? Like I just wanna I just wanna know understand all that more. Ooh, that's Ooh. a good question. I didn't even think good about question. that.
0: I thought I just figured, oh, Rando, and I just like filed that in unimportant in the back of my head. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean I, I that doesn't feel likely. We definitely have some excellent groundwork here. I really like Baca and I don't trust him because he's sort of like our trickster fellow. Oh I trust him. Yeah. Well, I'm an idiot. <laughs> we can see who, who ends up being right. It's you. Um we have rich groundwork. We have a pretty tight cast, so it was it was really cool. I really loved the setting, and yeah, strong recommendation for this book. Yeah, definitely. I did want to mention just the beautiful writing and description of the joint magical landscape between her and Baca. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, I loved all of that. Like, I just I loved the way she described it and their interactions with each other in this place. Like, I thought that was a really cool detail.
1: Yeah, great job, Amanda I- Joy. I think she deserves all the credit for really building a rich world because it's one of the things, even without the plot, I just kind of liked being lost, going to the patch, going yeah. to, even just their journey to her father's house in Astriday. I just wish I was there. And I feel like any good magical book, any good fantasy book, it's got to make you feel that way because that's what makes you go read it a second time. Like I know for a fact, I'm going to go buy this book to listen to an audible so I can replay it over and over again. I know I will do that. Yay.
0: So good. Good pick, Courtney. That's our show for today, friends. Thank you so much for joining us, Courtney. Thank you guys for having me. You can find Courtney on Instagram at Coco Chasing Adventures. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcasts, And we'd love to hear from you. Remember, review and tell your friends. Happy reading.